On the 15th day of the second month after they'd left Egypt, they were all out in the middle of a desert, tired, hungry, thirsty, kind of like a child or an adult who's been brought to Disney World from far, far away. And once there comes to a time when they're tired, hungry, and thirsty. Maybe they have to go to the bathroom too. The Israelites in these past 45 days had seen a lot. They had seen the Lord provide a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to guide them and keep them safe from a pursuing army, the biggest, baddest, scariest army in the whole world, the Egyptian army. They saw the waters of the Red Sea part before them, only to come crashing back down upon Pharaoh's army as it tried to pursue. And this was all after all the other stuff that they'd seen while they were in Egypt, the ten plagues cast upon Pharaoh and his people, which finally persuaded Pharaoh to free his slaves, the Israelites. Slaves live hopeless lives, and yet by the power of this God, they're given a gift they didn't dare dream of, and that was freedom. But freedom for what exactly? That's the question this text read so well. That's the question this text tries to consider. Too often we think freedom is simply a right provided for me so that I may do whatever I want, whatever I please for my own sake. That's what freedom is for. It's for me. Scripture does not speak of God going to these great lengths, though, to spring these people from slavery all so that they can do whatever each of them wants to do for each of themselves. I don't think the founding fathers and mothers of the United States had in mind that we should be free from the United Kingdom all so that our new country could be full of a bunch of selfish individuals who each live for their own sake. Community is what God had in mind. It's what we're supposed to be about. This Exodus text today, it's getting at this point. When people are graced with freedom, what is that freedom for? What are they called by God to do with freedom? I know I'm called constantly by lots of companies to use my freedom to spend more money than I actually have, <laughs> to eat food I'm actually not hungry for, maybe that slowly poisons me over years. I know I'm called by lots of forces in this world to be self-destructive and thoughtless about the planet and, as a privileged white male, to fight for the status quo, which serves me a whole lot more than it serves a lot of other people. We are among the most free people the world has ever known. But what does God call us to do with freedom? Notice that God does not grace this people, the Israelites, with freedom so that they can just go directly to a land that flows with milk and honey. Apparently, they're not ready for that yet. Instead, God frees these Israelites so that they may learn to trust Him. That's what the freedom has been given for, that they may go out into a playground where they can practice trusting God. That's what their freedom is for. Their freedom creates a time and space to learn to trust God above all others, including themselves, which is pretty hard to do. From what we can tell from Scripture, from the very beginning to the very end, this is the key to understanding what God wants. God wants our trust. Because trust leads to relationship. 
like genuine relationship. And relationships are what lead to love. And love is abundant life. That's the goal here. That's the point. God wants that for us, love and abundant life. But from the beginning, Eve and Adam show we're more keen to trust ourselves or trust the lies of an other. Eve and Adam trust their own judgment and the lies of the serpent more than God's command to not eat from that tree. As individuals and as a whole, humankind has always exhibited a greater trust for our own self-interested judgments than for God's wisdom. So, to grow their trust, God frees the Israelites and sends them into kind of what I think of as trust training camp. Like, maybe you've heard of doing boot camp in the army where they famously grind people down just to build them back up in the image of a soldier. Or maybe we, if any of you watch or follow professional sports teams and they have a a spring training or a, a training camp where they get whipped back into shape and a new team emerges, hopefully better than the one from the year before. Well, the Israelites, they don't get to go straight to the promised land. First, they need to learn to trust this Lord that freed them. And to do this, God decides to use the desert of the Sinai Peninsula as their training camp not the easiest of places in the world. There is no water. (laughs) That seems like a bad thing, right? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do a training camp with no water? There is no food. It's not like farmers had planted stuff for them that as they go out, okay, we can just pick this and that and the other. There is no meat. Nothing lives there. I said no water, so. They asked God, did you free us just to bring us out here and kill us? It's a legitimate question, right? They even grumble, and this is how bad it was out there, that slavery was better than this. At least there they got to eat, meat even sometimes. I kind of wonder if this is how a newborn baby might feel. I know none of us can remember this, but just to, I, I imagine, you know, you, you go from this comfy prison that is our mother's belly, and although the world will be full of opportunities and joys and chances to live, which is what God had in mind for the Israelites, that new baby, when it comes out, it's cold, and babies get hungry and thirsty, and a baby has to learn to trust that mom has everything that baby needs, on demand even. A baby has to learn, though, to trust, and some of us I know this from personal experience. Some of us scream for six months in this process of trusting and refuse to sleep as we resist. But a good parent is able to win over a child and eventually develop real, constant trust that I will eat today, that I will be safe today. This is what God's trying to do with the Israelites. This is what God tries to do with us win us over until we get it, until we believe, until we trust that we will have everything we need without trying to create it all ourselves. And so the Israelites wander around this waterless, foodless desert. Have you ever wandered around anywhere? Just kind of nowhere really to go and all day to get there? As a child, I remember wandering around shopping malls, 
because I had an older sister, and she was always trying to find the perfect outfit. I don't know what she was trying to shop for, but boy, I hated shopping so much. It was torture. I have wandered around the forest just to see what there was to see. I've wandered around in a car before, driving around a national park where I might have been lost, but I don't know because I didn't care. I got out, as you can see. Wandering can be scary. It can lead to feeling kind of desperate, like, ooh, I'm in the middle of no, I don't know where I am. It can be a time to explore, which means it can be kind of exciting. It's an adventure. It can be fun to discover new places, to, to discover new faces as you wander. Israel is anxious to just get there. I want to get there. I don't want to be wandering around. I want to get there, like the kid in the back seat. But they don't understand what the destination really is. There isn't a promised land for the Israelites as much as there is a state of being. And that state of being is going to be trust. That's the destination God has in mind trusting in God's promises. God made a promise to Abraham that Abraham would have many descendants, that his descendants would have a land to live in that would be their own, and that through those people and through that land, the world, the whole world would get blessed. God has these Israelites wandering through the wilderness so that they would trust that this is a God able and willing to keep this grand promise. We have a very similar story. We're baptized at whatever age or stage in our lives, most of us as babies, but we are not immediately thereafter placed in a life that flows with milk and honey and nothing else, where everything is hunky-dory and happy-clappy all the time for ever and ever, amen. That's not how it works. Metaphorically speaking, we're all placed from baptism onto a wandering path. And along the way, we get hungry, right? We feel like we're wandering around. We wonder, why are we here? Did you bring us out here to kill us? We might get hungry for attention or for affirmation. We might feel hungry for love or respect. We get thirsty for pleasure, for achievement, for meaning, and we get tired. I know many of us on a Wednesday night get tired. Baptized, we're set free from the power of sin, much like those Israelites were set free from the Pharaoh. But we are not set free for our own sake. Each and all of us are put on a wandering path so that we would learn to trust God's promises. We are in our own trust training camp. Do you feel the burn yet? But trusting is really hard to do. When I'm in a new place and my, you know, map on my phone tries to put me where I'm supposed to go and it sometimes, this has happened before, I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but it'll empty me out into what is supposed to be my destination and it turns out to be a dead end, completely a, the wrong place. Or when you ask someone, how formal is this event? Do you trust them when they tell you, oh, it's pretty casual, like, eh. Or do we trust the salesman when he says, I just can't budge another dollar? Do we trust politicians? Do we trust clergy? Do we trust teachers or doctors? We're conditioned to be as wise as serpents, to not trust much of anyone, 
And yet here is this God who wants us to live into His promises. Despite all the pain and suffering we see and know, despite death, God wants us to trust that a new creation has begun, that the resurrection is real, that God's grace and love are enough to have abundant life now in this life. As you wander, how's this trust training camp going for you? God gains our trust in a variety of ways, through study, through prayer for sure, but most of all, our trust in God is built through our relationships. It's part of why we worship this God together as a congregation. I've come to trust God. If you ask me, well, where's your trust come from? I would name people. I would name my grandma and my grandpa, my mom, my dad. I would name Faye and Marilyn and Philip and Travis. I'd name families that I've known. And I'd name you. I'd name many other people that I trust and respect. Anybody can try to get there on their own, to train themselves in this trust training camp away from places and groups like this. But trust in God comes a whole lot easier when you train together. That's what our confirmation small groups are for. As a congregation, we're like a team. And when one of us along our wandering path, walks into the valley of the shadow of death, how else shall we fear no evil but to trust that God is there with us and that God shows up through the people who love us? How can we believe that unless someone else reminds us and points that out to us, that we aren't alone? Trust in God is grown in groups, groups like this. On this road of life, this meandering path, Jesus definitely speaks to us in prayer. Jesus definitely shows up through the sacraments of worship. Jesus happens through the ways that we serve our neighbor, through our vocation and the gifts we offer, and through loved ones who, whom we trust already. And when we take the time to listen, our hearts do gradually, sometimes quickly, but usually gradually catch fire within us. And for those of us whose hearts warm to Christ, we can't help but share that kind of love with others. Thanks be to God. Amen.